Hello, and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell. I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field. So please visit WCAPS.org regularly for more details. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Bonnie Jenkins, uh, the founding executive director of WCAPS. It's good to welcome all of you to another edition of our podcast for the organization. Today, I'm very happy to welcome my colleague, Beverly Kirk, who works at CSIS, who's going to be spending a few minutes with us and talking a little bit about what she does um, at CSIS, how she got involved in the work she does her background in journalism, and about being a woman of color uh, in the field uh, and, and working in Washington, D.C. So I'd like to uh, just uh, say hi, Beverly, and maybe you can introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you to your your listeners for joining us. Um, I'm Beverly Kirk. Uh, I uh, direct the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at CSIS, and I'm director for outreach for the International Security Program and a fellow in the International Security Program here at CSIS. Uh, I have been in Washington for 21 years. Some would say that's way too long. Uh, I came here originally uh, because I was a journalist. Um, and I, I came here to work for NBC News back in 1997 as a reporter. And I was at NBC for six years. Then I went to NPR and PBS. And then after that, I worked for the local station here, WJLA. And at the time, it was called News Channel 8, the 24-hour cable system, which I think they now call uh, WJLA 24-7. And uh, after uh, after a total of about 22 years in the industry. The the last uh, uh, 10 or 12 of them here in DC, I decided to uh, give up journalism or you never really give up journalism. It's, it's, I compare it to being a Marine. You're, you're never really an ex journalist. Like you're never really an ex Marine. You're always a journalist. I decided not to work actively in that industry anymore and to go back to my, educational grounding. I have a master's in um, international politics uh, from the University of Kentucky Patterson School of Diplomacy and International Commerce. Uh, and um, I decided I wanted to work in that area. And uh, I, so I began the quest of trying to find my place in the international affairs realm and was fortunate enough to be hired by CSIS. Um, I guess after about three years of searching and talking to people at think tanks, uh, Andrew Schwartz hired me to help him stand up what's called the Ideas Lab here at CSIS. And it's an in-house media design studio. We produce all of the videos and uh, web pages and websites that you see on the CSIS website. That's all done in-house. All the videos are done in-house. Um, and so I uh, project managed and directed the Ideas Lab for almost two years when CSIS decided to start Smart Women, Smart Power. And I was, as I like to say, voluntold to produce the podcast for Smart Women, Smart Power. And I enjoyed it so much that um, I made an offhand comment to my now boss, Dr. Kathleen Hicks. I said, you know, if you ever had a full-time position working on Smart Women, Smart Power, I'd be very interested in that. I really, you know, I'm really enjoying working with you on this project. And four days after I said that, I had a different job, which is the one I have now. 
Oh, great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what is Smart Women, Smart Power? Well, it is an initiative that started uh, uh, back in December of 2014 as an effort to elevate and amplify the voices of women who are in foreign policy, national security, international business, and international development. Uh, I think the organization took a look around and saw an awful lot of mantles or male-only or male-dominated panels and wanted to create a space where the voices of women who are in these fields would be amplified and pushed forward. Uh, it would be the place where there would not be a mantle. Um, and I always like to preface all of my comments about smart women by saying that, yes, we're smart women, smart power, but we love smart men. Uh, so men are welcome at our events. Uh, it's just that this is an event where you will get to be in the audience and listen to very smart women talk about their areas of expertise. Um, so that's what we've been doing. We've tried to elevate uh, uh, women experts, make sure they're known and seen and heard. Uh, that's kind of, it, it sounds pretty simple, but that's essentially what, what our efforts have, have, uh, uh, have been about. We do also do a Smart Women, Smart Power podcast, which I, which I host. Nina Easton, our moderator for the live series, used to uh, host the podcast, and uh, she got a little busy and turned it over to me uh, to do. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, we also, for the podcast, not only invite guests who are at the top levels in their career, it's the podcast is for women at all career levels. So it's mostly to make sure that women who have expertise have the opportunity to have that expertise heard and appreciated by everyone else. And I guess, I guess I should say that CSIS stands for Center for Strategic and International Studies, uh, in case uh, there may be folks who may not be familiar with that. Um, let's go back a little bit uh, and talk a little bit about uh, where you're from and what got you interested in the, in the field of journalism. Well, I am from a very small town called Burksville, Kentucky. I will be really surprised if you've heard of it. It's in <laughs> southern Kentucky in the foothills of Appalachia. I and probably when people meet me, I'm probably not the image they have in mind of someone who is a at least six generations that I can count product of Appalachia, but that's who I am and most of my family still lives in and around that area. Uh, I, um, I wanted to be a journalist since I was a little girl. Uh, I tell the story that, you know, I had heard of Oprah Winfrey long before she became a one-word international superstar because she was the local anchor on the CBS affiliate out of Nashville, Tennessee, which was the TV station that we watched most frequently, even though my hometown is in Kentucky, it's on the border with Tennessee. And, uh, and the TV market that we could pick up over the air, um, because we did not have cable, uh, uh, was the this affiliate out of Nashville, and Oprah Winfrey was the main anchor. And I would always watch, and I, I thought, you know, there aren't a lot of people who look like me doing this, and if Oprah can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and so that is the long and the short of how I got interested in journalism. And then I had a high school librarian who thought I wrote well, 
uh, I would always ask her to proofread my English papers uh, when I was in high school. And, and when it was time to go to college, she said, you know, so what do you think you want to do? And at the time, I thought, well, I, I am kind of interested in journalism, but I also like science. And um, maybe I want to be a meteorologist. And she said, well, I think you'd do a lot better writing news articles than weather forecasts. So you know, why don't you pursue that since you're already thinking about it? And the rest is, as they say, history. I went to undergrad at Western Kentucky University, uh, where I majored in broadcasting and in history. And I got a job um, in news uh, pretty much the year after I graduated from Western. I started out in radio. And before that, I worked in sports information as a writer. Uh, sports information is the field where you promote athletic teams uh, at universities. Uh, you're their PR people, essentially. So I spent a lot of time before I graduated from college working in the sports information office, writing news releases and uh, game day summaries and stuff like that. And then um, for the year after I got out of undergraduate, I actually worked for an athletic conference, the Sunbelt Conference, doing the same thing. And then I got a job in radio doing news. And from there, I built my TV career in Kentucky, covering politics, education, local government, uh, various and sundry breaking news kind of kind of things and covering the covering the weather because as you know weather is now a news story uh, mm -hmm. whenever there's a hurricane or a snowstorm you see the reporters standing out in the really ridiculously horrid weather and you're sitting at home thinking why on earth are they out there and I always answer that question because the news director told them to go out and stand and talk about the really bad weather um, no one in their right mind would do it willingly or at least that's my opinion. I know there are people who do it for the excitement and love standing out in the middle of hurricanes, but I was not one of those folks who actually enjoyed it. I did it, but I that was probably one of the only things in journalism I didn't enjoy. I, I never liked covering the bad weather stories. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it sounds like you had some wonderful opportunities that things just kind of kept moving for you in your career. Things would open up, you, you prepare yourself and stuff would open up and you make a recommendation. So it sounds as if, you know, it's been a pretty nice progression of things that have happened to you that allowed you to move forward in your career. I was very fortunate. Uh, it, it, it wasn't as easy as it, it, as it may sound now because I spent a lot of time in small market TV um, kind of doing everything uh, because unlike in larger markets where you may have a producer to help you put together a story in small market TV, you know, reporters are kind of on their own. They go out, they get the story, they write it themselves, they then present it on air. Uh, in some of the larger markets, when you're a reporter, you may have help um, from a producer helping you pull things together. Um, but it was certainly it was certainly fun, and I I don't know looking back and knowing what I know now if I would have had such blinders on uh, because I I wanted to be a journalist I wanted to work in Washington and it was a single-minded focus the only break I took from that was when I was working in Lexington Kentucky as a as a, a weekend anchor and local government local politics reporter I decided to get my master's degree at UK at the Patterson School of Diplomacy and International Commerce um, and uh, because I'd always had an interest in in international relations and security and international politics and uh, it's a great program there they kind of let you uh, 
uh, it's not a create your own masters, but they give you a lot of leeway to create your area of concentration. Uh, and so I started doing that while I was working essentially full time as a journalist there. Um, and that was the only time I kind of veered from, oh, I'm going to be a journalist to, okay, I'm interested in this other subject and I want to study it and get a degree. And uh, because I thought it would help me get to Washington, which at the end of the day, uh, I, I think it did because I was able to go from working in Lexington, Kentucky, straight to working here in Washington. And what, what drew you to Washington? Is it, is it the interest in international uh, affairs issue and security or is it the market for journalism here or is it both or other things? It was both. It was kind of a combination of all of that. And Washington is one of the largest markets in the country for doing news. And goodness knows, there's never a dull day here, news-wise. <laughs> so um, it's, if, you're, if you're a reporter who enjoys politics and is interested in government and interested in international affairs, it's, it's the place to be. Right. And so all of that kind of combined to make me want to be in Washington. So... So that's how I ended up here. And then once I got here, it's kind of like the dog that catches the bus and you do it for a while. And I really enjoyed it. You start thinking about, okay, so what's next? What do I want to do? And for the first time in my life, I didn't have a clear cut answer about what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something other than journalism probably for the first time in my life. This was, um, this was probably nine years ago. Um, in 2000, 2008, 2009, I started thinking, okay, <laughs> what else would I like to do? Plus, and this is going to sound really horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway, but when you're a woman in, in broadcast journalism, um, you, you, it, 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 there's a reason why you don't usually see older women on TV. It's getting better now. <laughs> Um, that you see women who are who are not 22, 23 um, on TV, um, but uh, but uh, I, I felt like you know I was getting at the at the at the end of a viable career in in news, um, and I didn't want to be the last person standing or trying to get a job in news when clearly the demographic was skewing younger, and so I thought okay if I'm gonna get out of news, this is a good time to do it, and what do I want to do next? And so I thought, you know, I have this master's degree. I want to pursue uh, a job in that field, uh, even though I had never had a job in international affairs. Uh, uh, I, I thought, yeah, let's, let's try that. The worst that can happen is nobody will hire me, and I'll have to figure out something else to do, but let me, you know, let me take a chance and, and try it. And it didn't happen immediately. When I left news, I started my own media consulting business and um, I worked for an education reform nonprofit doing media work, uh, tracking how certain issues in education were covered in the media, um, things like school choice, vouchers, charter schools, homeschooling, uh, and, and help the organization kind of track how all those issues were covered in the media. It was through a Gates Foundation grant. And I did that for a couple of years, which opened my eyes to what I consider, you know, one of the, um, I guess, underreported 
security issues, at least in my mind, it's a security issue, and that's the U.S. education system. I think education is a national security issue, and I think we need to reframe how we talk about and how we educate uh, people in this country. Uh, and uh, and that that kind of struck a, a, a passion in me uh, uh, that was related to this new field that I wanted to work in. Uh, I'm still still trying to figure out exactly how to marry those two together, but um, but that is a, a strong interest of mine. Uh, so actually, you've raised a couple of things that I want to talk about. And, and um, first of all, um, going back to your what you said about um, knowing it was time to maybe move on from the field and uh, and women in in the field, and I'm sure that you've you probably chatted about this or talked about it before. But I mean, what, what, I mean, being a, a, you know, being a woman of color um, in the field, um, you talked about, um, you know, at a certain age, women, um, you know, you don't see that many women of a certain age, after a certain age, and of course that's changing now. But what was it, what, were, I mean, what was it like to go through that process of thinking about, you know, the transition and, you know, maybe it's the right time to do it because of the limitations within the field, and um and 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 was it also an, another issue being a woman of color did that also compound those those the things you were thinking about at the time it it was less it was less so having to be having to do with being a woman of color it was more of being a woman in general mm -hmm. uh, uh of a certain age i'm i'm not that old but in TV years, I was getting on the upper edge, you know, on the upper edge of the age that you typically mm -hmm. see uh, uh, on on news, uh, and it was terrifying. I thought, okay, I've done this for, you know, twenty plus years, and I I want to do something else. Um, what can I do? That was the part that was a little terrifying because I had I had the masters, but. I hadn't worked in international affairs, so it was going to be taking several steps back to actually get in the door and then work really hard to build up my knowledge base and uh, and then progress. Um, and, and that was the scary and intimidating part of it. But I'm glad that I took the challenge and 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 took the steps back and then kind of rebuilt uh, rebuilt my career uh, because it's been one of the most rewarding things that I think I've done. Um, but also, I have to say, I will not lie, it's probably one of the hardest things that I ever have done. But I, I think um, uh, about being a woman, I, I think it would be difficult for anyone to leave one career after being in it for two decades and, and having success in it. To just completely reinvent yourself and and do something different. I I don't know if that would be easier if you're if you're a man. Um, maybe it would be, um, but uh, I I think it would be really challenging and really hard for anybody uh, to do it. And I've had some friends who were also in the in the journalism business who've done the same thing and and gotten out and reinvented themselves. And and the consensus is it's difficult but it's rewarding. Um, but you know, there, there's a, a, you get to a certain point, age notwithstanding, just um, journalism um, 
uh, if you're in broadcast journalism in, in particular, you know, the, the hours are long. Um, the pay, unless you're at the very top echelons, can be kind of low. And um, working weekends was never my favorite thing. Also working the basically overnight shift, also not my favorite thing. Um, I, I have said in jest that I've seen a lot of sunrises in my life because I had to get up and go to work at 2.30 in the morning. So by the time the sun rose, I'd already been working for four and a half, five hours. Um, and, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, at, at some point you're like, you know, I want to go to work at eight o'clock in the morning, just like everybody else. At least that was, that was my experience. And, and um, you mentioned the, uh, the, you know, the difficulties of reinventing oneself, but as you mentioned, you were able to do it and, and some of your colleagues were and met the challenge. Um, what would you say were, is, is one of the reasons, what reasons would you say um, led to your success and your ability to make that transition? Oh, that's that's a hard that's a hard one to answer. I I think I I was willing to do whatever I had to do, even if it meant taking a job that I was quote unquote overqualified for. Um, and that was probably the biggest challenge was convincing people that I wanted to do the job, even though I had had this twenty year career as a journalist and I was basically looking at at um, slightly above entry-level jobs in the international affairs world um, and saying yes I'm perfectly happy to to take a job and get in at the ground level and learn what I needed to learn and 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 do whatever was necessary um, I think that that willingness um, you know put the ego in your pocket and do what it takes to learn a completely different area, uh, a completely different skill set, and, and then bring the skill set that I had, you know, which was very uh, applicable in, in the new setting. But convincing folks that that was the case was, was a challenge. But being willing to take the risk and do it, um, that's why I say that it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, because there was a whole lot of convincing and and believing in myself that I could do it and convincing other people that I wanted to do it um, was was tough at times. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, when you when you're when you I know that you also teach at, at American University. So, you know, when you see young women um, who are interested in journalism, um, you know, what is what's the story that that you tell them uh, about if you say if they ask, if if they sometimes show maybe they're you know a little hesitant maybe a little more hesitant than some of the men in the class or young men in the class I mean what do you tell them to encourage them to continue to pursue what it is that they would like to pursue in journalism? I tell I tell them to jump right in with both feet and don't be afraid. Um, and most importantly, don't be afraid to speak up and, and maybe be wrong. Um, you know, it's everybody tells a story of how um, when women are applying for jobs, 
they'll look and there will be 10 qualifications and they'll say, oh, I only meet five or six or maybe seven of those qualifications. I won't bother to apply. And a man would look at the same description and the same 10 qualifications and maybe only have two or three and say, oh, I'm qualified. I'm going for it. I tell young women, it doesn't matter if you don't meet all of the qualifications. You know, take the ones you do meet and take the plunge. Learn the rest. Uh, um, I tell young women that I don't believe journalism is dying. Um, I think it's changing. And you're going to be in the generation that creates whatever the new way of of disseminating information is. You're going to be the people who create it. And it's really it's really up to you to jump in and and you know fail fast and fail forward you know do what you can and don't be deterred by any kind of setback just learn the lesson and keep charging forward mm -hmm. and, and 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 that goes across that goes across you know the the racial divide um women of color i i tell women of young women of color and and young caucasian women the same thing you know yeah. fail fast fail forward and and keep moving learn lesson learn from your mistakes and keep plowing ahead right don't don't, you know, don't go stop yeah, Do don't stop, stop too long worrying about the things you did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if you did things if wrong. you did things wrong, um, learn learn from what you did wrong and keep plowing straight ahead and don't listen to the detractors because there will be plenty, including right. the voice in your own head sometimes that's saying, you know, what are you doing? What were you thinking? Well, yeah. you got to kick that little voice out of your out of your head and don't listen to any any people who tell you that from the outside. Just if you have a goal and there's something you want, go for it. You will not regret it. What you will regret is what you don't do more than anything that I think, more than anything that you actually do, even if it turns out to be a spectacular failure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't think you ever regret trying and giving it your all. Right. I and, mean, if I had listened to if I had listened to folks who said, "I you want to be a what?" I will never forget my father saying, "You know, what is a broadcast journalist, and can you make any money at it?" Because after four years of college, I am done. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in your in your and in, in your twenty years that you that you were in journalism, did you uh, were there a, a, a I mean, how many women did you work with? How many women of color did you work with during that time? Were you often the only woman in your space or the only woman of color? I mean, what was that like for you in your experience? I was often the only woman of color in my space. There are a lot of women in, in broadcast news, um, but there are smaller numbers of women of color, although that is changing as well, um, which I am glad to see. There are more women, and that's women of color across you know, not just African-American, but Latina and Asian and Middle Eastern, Arab. Um, there are a lot more women of color across the board um, in news today than it was when I started. And I won't tell you what year. I'll let you Google <laughs> how long ago that was. <laughs> um, but I was oftentimes one of maybe, you know, two or three women of color. That was that was more the norm was to be, you know, sometimes the only one you would go out on the story and it, there may be other women there, but you were the only woman of color. Um, but I, I tried to never let that bother me. Um, 
I, I was like, well, you know, I'm here and I got a job to do and I don't have time to be worried about the rest. Um, and I, and I tell young women to do the same thing, you know, just kind of acknowledge, look around, acknowledge it, but don't let it stop you. Focus on the job you're there to do. I, I learned from a very early age because as I mentioned, I am from the foothills of Appalachia in rural Southern Kentucky. Uh, the county that I grew up in um, and where a big chunk of my family still live is probably 95% white. So I got comfortable very early on being the only or one of a few. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I think my childhood helped prepare me for, um, you know, life itself, uh, so that I, I wasn't ever bothered if I was the only person in the room mm -hmm. who was a person of color. I, I, I learned very early on not to let that, not to even, not to even bat an eye right. to just kind of, Oh, just look around. You see it, you acknowledge it. And you just keep walking. You right, just keep right. moving forward. Exactly. Um, so I just want to switch a little bit here and, and to something that you mentioned earlier. And I'm very interested. Something that WCAPS is, you know, has as a running theme is this uh, redefining national security. And uh -huh. we did a, um, we've done a, a webcast, a webinar on that. We've had a couple of podcasts on that. And we had a meeting at, even at Brookings Institution on that. Um, and hopefully we're going to be having another one on that. And so when you talk about uh, education as a national security uh, issue, I, it, my ears perked up because, um, <laughs> you know, I think it's important that we look at other issues and, and the value that they have um, in our lives and, 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 and on the future of the country and not just the traditional hard security uh, things right. in terms of national security. So say a little bit about your perspective on, on education and why, in your view, you would consider it an issue for national security, of national security. I, I, I like to say that even though I'm very interested in hard security, um, I find myself looking or being interested more in the issues on what I call the softer side of security, mm -hmm. which education falls under that um, because it's not something you traditionally think of as a security issue. But if you look at the country as a whole, and you think, what are some of the key things that have helped this country to succeed? It, one of them is having an educated populace. Um, one of the, in my, again, this is all my humble opinion. Um, I don't think that democracies survive and thrive very well if the populace isn't educated in terms of civics education and, and how government works and, and the importance of being a part of the government and people speaking up. But in order to speak up, you must be educated enough to understand the issues and and do the research if you don't have the information. And I I worry that um, that our educational system uh, in some cases is not producing people um, who can who are educated enough to 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 perform in a in a high-level democracy. Uh, I, I'm not saying that that's the case for everybody, but I'm saying that it's something that we should be mindful of and watchful of and, and work very hard to make sure that, that 
young people in the educational system do know how their government operates, understand how their government operates, and, and have the kind of education that lets them um, take tough issues and break them down and try to figure out new solutions. The world is changing at, an, at a completely fast pace, um, and we've got to have people who have the educational grounding to be able to take complex issues for which you know there may not be ready answers and find those answers and you can't do that if you aren't able to read well you can't do that if you aren't able to write well you can't do that if you if if you don't have you know the knowledge base uh, to recognize what's coming down the pike and to try to figure out ways to solve problems so that's why i think that education is a security issue because you know the the you you just have to have a, an educated populace and and by that i don't mean everybody has to go to college um it's nice if that it's nice if people do but education comes in a variety of forms uh, uh there are technical there's there's technical education what was called when and this really will give away my age, but you know, trade schools and shop vocational education where people learn skills. Um, I think that's really important. I think it's vital. Um, you you have you you need to have people who are the philosophers and thinkers and and educators, but you also need to have the people who understand understand how things work technically and can fix things and can and can explain how technical. Uh, or how technology works uh, to those of us I put myself in this category who are technologically challenged um, you know education I'm talking about it writ large not not saying that you know everybody has to have a liberal arts education and and go on to have a doctorate education comes in many forms but it's a knowledge um, and an understanding and a willingness to continue learning. Education doesn't end when you get out of high school or out of college or out of technical school or vocational training. Education is a lifelong pursuit. You must always be learning because the world around you is always changing. There's always new information. So let me press you a little bit on that because um, I, I, I think you're making some great points. Um, so in, in, your, in your view, how would you say, um, and you know, we, we do have, you know, we have our, our U.S. has its good points and bad points about its, its education systems. Where would you say the, we're not doing enough? In what areas are we failing, you think? Um, and you, you kind of alluded to some of this already, but where, where is it failing, you think? In what, in what ways is it failing to prepare the next generation? Well, I, in all honesty, I remember in, in, in school growing up learning about how government works, um, at, you know, the civics education. I think that that's kind of fallen off the radar screen. I may be wrong, and one of your listeners may come back and challenge me on this, but it seems as if civics education has kind of fallen off the radar screen. Um, and, uh, and the, the, the knowledge that you know you have to be involved voting is important um, and 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 being a, a part of the of the political process um, I would and the importance of being a part of the political process um, you know with rights comes responsibilities and I, I think that that 
that part of education maybe is not well I don't know if it's not emphasized as much as it used to be but maybe there needs to be a stronger focus on it I wouldn't say that we're failing at it by any means but maybe it's kind of not as high on the priority list as 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 it once was uh, I, I would give that as one example of, of, of a concern that I have um, so this is really interesting thanks for saying all of that because um, like I said I do like to look at these issues of you know how we define national security security today and um, some of the things some people like to say well some issues are human security um, you know and they they try to make the distinction but really it's you know in our global community in our international community some folks don't like to say global anymore um, but in 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 the ways in which we're all connected I mean so many issues that I think we traditionally like to say are not national security because they don't affect us our security can either directly or indirectly and I think that that's something that's changing um, in terms of more things actually doing do, are impacting our, our security in ways they never did before so I like you know that you're talking about education and the and the role of education on security because um, I think we need to start thinking more like that. Um, I, I hope I didn't sound too much like a, a radical <laughs> on that because no, it's not. No, not I think it's not. No, please finish. I was going to say I hope I didn't sound too much like a, a radical uh, with the with the passion that I feel for it because I, I just I just think it's important and I think with the way um, that things are changing at lightning speed uh, around the world uh, that. We have to be prepared for that, and and part of being prepared is making sure that 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 people have an understanding of 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 you know a basic level of knowledge and uh, uh, or uh, let me rephrase that I think it's really important that people understand that being educated is 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 something that's that's critical um, because the as much as we may be um, well, let me back up there. I think what I want, I think the point that I would really like to, to make on this is that um, it's just education is critical because we want to be competitive with the rest of the world. And to be competitive, you, you have to have an education and you have to have skills um, to compete with other folks or that impacts the economy. And I guess it's an economic argument as much as it is a security argument uh, in terms of, of just valuing or, or seeing education as something that, that impacts security. And I, and I totally agree with you. And, and I, don't, I, don't even, I don't think it's a, a radical in, in, a, in a negative sense at all. I think it just makes a lot of sense to me. So thank you for... Um, for, for making those contributions. Um, and I, I guess I have just two more questions and then I'll let you go. One is, um, you know, knowing what WCAPS is, uh, what if you could, your thoughts on, on the way the organization can help women, uh, women in the field of peace and security, uh, particularly women of color, just any thoughts you may have on that? Well, I think, that your organization is doing a wonderful job in getting young women and and uh, bringing them together and 
giving them an opportunity to add their voice to peace and security issues. And I guess the the one thing in working in the in this field is that I am always happy when I see a, a range of women from different backgrounds who are interested in peace and security. And I just really hope that 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 they will know that they have a place at this table um, that for so long has been dominated by men. Um, women, I think, uh, uh, I think have a huge role to play, and particularly women of color have a huge role to play. And even though we might not have been at this table for as long, that doesn't mean that we don't belong or may not have critical insights uh, to uh, that are valuable to be uh, to be placed at this table and I I hope that young women of color don't look at the scene and say oh I don't see myself reflected or I see just a few people who may look like me and they let that be a deterrent no step up and claim your place at at the table and have your voice heard on issues that you feel are important in in the space in the peace and security realm um, I, because if you don't if you don't hear from people from underrepresented groups then you're it, the the discussion is not complete or the picture is not fully fully painted um, I don't know if that's too literary <laughs> an example but I think you get I think you get what I'm trying to say right. I, I, do. I want I want young women of color to see themselves at a table where there may not be anybody else who's ever looked like them, mm -hmm. you know, who have had a seat at that table. Um, there is a place for you. Your voice is needed because you bring a perspective that is unique and it needs to be heard. Um, I, I, my other, other rant that I often go on <laughs> is that as a person from rural America, um, you know, I want to make sure that rural voices are heard um, because the perspective is different from folks who grow up in cities and close to the center of action. Um, you know, that's all great. And trust me, I love living in cities. But, you know, I came from a place where it's very isolated and um, and uh, um, but the people who are there have just as much an interest in in the US and its position in the world as people who live in the cities and I know you don't hear that perspective very often but all my life I heard people talking about things going on in the rest of the world and how it might impact um, our small town um, and I think sometimes that viewpoint gets overlooked and I would say the same thing as a as a woman of color you have a perspective that is unique and different and it's as valuable as anyone else's and it should be heard great and and the final question is um, what are you most proud of um, in your career oh my gosh <laughs> what am I what am I most proud of in my career um, Hmm. Well, I'm really proud of the work that I'm doing now with Smart Women, Smart Power, and making sure that women who are in foreign policy and national security in particular um, have their voices amplified and heard. Um, 
so I'm really I'm really proud of that work because it's something that I had the opportunity to 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 start working on at at the beginning from the from the beginning. Um, so I'm really I'm really proud of that. Um, and uh, from my journalism career, I. I guess what I'm most proud of is just having the opportunity to talk to so many wonderful people along the way and tell their stories. I got into journalism, even though it's television and it's glamorous and all of that, I, that was a secondary reason for me getting in. I got in because I love to tell stories. I love to tell people stories. and. Um, and and I was always really proud when I got to tell stories that maybe wouldn't have gotten heard otherwise. Um, when I was very first in news, I did a series of stories on a group in Kentucky that would bring young children from Central and Latin America to Kentucky for surgeries, corrective surgeries, if they had uh, any kind of, of um, uh, facial deformities such as cleft palates, or and or had been burnt burn victims, and they would bring them there um, uh, to Bowling Green, Kentucky, and the doctors uh, in that town would treat these children, and uh, the organization would pay what they could, but a lot of the doctors would donate their time, um, and the woman who ran it ran the organization was married to a neurosurgeon who donated his time and resources to helping these children who otherwise would have had to go through life with significant difficulties and they were making those children's lives better and i was very excited to be able to tell that kind of story um and uh you know that left an impact uh, on me so i i guess i i guess in that sense i i was proud that i was able to to do that Great. So um, I want to thank you, uh, Beverly, for doing this. This is a great uh, podcast, and and um, and thank you for all, um, uh, you know, being real in your in your in your uh, interview here. And before we go, uh, is there a URL or a place for folks to go to hear your podcast? Yes, you can hear my podcast, Smart Women, Smart Power. It's on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free. Or you can also go to CSIS.org and uh, click on the Smart Women, Smart Power program page, and it'll take you right to our, our podcast link Great. as well. Excellent. I will also um, make sure that uh, the members uh, of, of WCAPS gets that information. So. Thank you so much, Beverly, for taking the time to be with us. Um, and it was a great interview. I can't wait for folks to hear this um, and to, you know, to respond to it as well. So thanks again. Um, Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm very yeah. honored that you would that you would want to talk to me. So <laughs> thank you of so course. much. And thanks for all the work you're doing uh, at CSAS on, on your podcast and, and featuring women. It was really appreciative. Thank you. Okay. So long. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining Women of Color, Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit WCAPS.org. That's W-C-A-P-S dot org.